Next week at SACPAW, the talk will be Oil's Deep State, Does the Petroleum Industry Undermine Democracy? Uh, that'll be by Kevin Taft, and there's going to be two sessions, one at, at noon, standard SACPAW time, and, and one in the, the evening as well. So, um, so now we're going to get into some Q&A. So we'll, we'll have Leroy back up here uh, in a little bit, and you can line up at the mic over here on the right, or on my right, and keep your, keep your questions short to the point, one to two questions. If you want to try to steal the mic, I'll cut you down and get you out of here. So, oh. All right, we'll bring Leroy back up now. Thanks very much, Cody. Before we uh, <clears throat> maybe entertain a question, comments, and so on, I'd like to just bring to your attention uh, a little bit of a history, very brief history. Um, <clears throat> and in fact, I brought a book with me that tells about that history. It's this book titled, The Last of the Buffalo, Return to the Wild. And this book tells about the buffalo when it went, it was all, it went near extinction. Just over here on the Blackfeet Reservation, somebody had the uh, good thought of saving a few head and without going into details about it, those few head were brought across on the other side, on the west side of the mountains, and they were known as the uh, Pablo herd. And then the Pablo herd ended up being sold to the Canadian government, and they came up from Montana, had a brief stopover in Banff, and probably walked up and down Banff Avenue. But then from Banff, they were brought over to what is now Elk Island National Park. And up to today, it's the Elk uh, Island National Park herd that is being used as a source herd for uh, other people that want buffalo. A couple, three years ago now, the uh, about 90 head of the uh, Elk Island herd was brought down to uh, the Blackfeet Reservation. And luckily, those buffalo didn't need any passports. You know, they were uh, able to make it across the uh, border. And there were ceremonies, singing, and so on, welcoming them back to the, uh, to the other side. So it took them about 100 years to make the full round trip. So the buffalo are back where they originally were. Now, 
Out of Elk Island, we have a herd, a small, very small herd at Banff National Park. And that, that herd is now with the newborn calves. There's about 30 head there. And as we mentioned, they'll be turning the uh, fences down and in a couple of years, in fact, next year, 2019, all the fences are going to be gone and there'll be free roaming uh, buffalo in the national park. And we're working with the, uh, the province, letting them know we've got free roaming buffalo in Banff National Park. What will happen if one of those or if some of them come outside of the national park onto provincial lands. So we're already working on, you know, what to do about that type of situation. And the same thing is going to be happening up here by Chief Mountain. We're very close to making the final land arrangements. The Blackfeet are gonna turn off there are some of their herd up here. In fact, I think it's going to be the Elk Island herd that they're going to put up right there on just on the south side of the border. And there might be a few head that'll come across the border. So we're working on how to deal with those situations. I want to also tell you just a couple little stories about the, uh, about the buffalo in Banff. It's been over a hundred years that the buffalo were, were brought up from Montana. Well, when the buffalo was returned over and let loose in Banff National Park, of course, our people held ceremonies to welcome them back and to bless the National Park for the return of the buffalo. And one of the things was we scattered sacred tobacco all over the place where they were going to be. When they were let loose, guess where the buffalo went? All where the sacred tobacco was placed. That's where they first went. Over a hundred years, they've been, they haven't been in the area. A magpie, and thereafter several magpies started to land on the backs of the buffalo to pull the buffalo fur for their nests. Think about it. How did those, how did those Magpies, no, because the buffalo hasn't been around for over a hundred years. So there's good genetic memory, just like Blackfoot genetic memory of the buffalo. Lastly, one of the one of our people, his name is Wes Olson who spent his whole life on buffalo and knows them, knows the buffalo inside out. 
Well, he was up there with the buffalo herd in Banff National Park. And one early morning in very misty, foggy weather, he said, I was outside, very, very quiet. But all of a sudden, I started to hear this jingle sound and so on. He says, I was wondering where it was coming from. And it turned out that from fresh snowfall and so on, little, little uh, particles of ice had all formed on the back of the buffaloes. And as they walked, you hear this jingle sound from the ice. And it turns out, if you ever go into Powell country, we have what we call jingle dress dances performed by women. And so those kind of things do come back. So when we're talking about cultural aspects, environmental aspects of the buffalo, those little incidences like that do show as memory of what it used to be like with the buffalo present on the plains. Thank you. Hello, Leroy. Welcome to SACPAW. My name is uh, Cheryl Bradley. I found your presentation very interesting. I have a few comments to make. Um, one is about the genetic memory. I heard on the CBC radio as I was coming here today a story about the bison in Banff. And apparently they've been fenced. Uh, and apparently a grizzly bear came up to the fence and a buffalo came up at the same time and they suddenly became aware of each other and they both went the other way. They were terrified of each other. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm expecting that perhaps grizzly bears respect bison. They may be a hard animal to bring down. Yeah. Um, and with respect. They didn't have ID cards. And with respect to um, the consultations that that are happening. It, it sounds like the tables are turned to some extent with respect to uh, sort of the newcomers need to consult with indigenous people. It sounds like now indigenous people are working to consult with the newcomers about this plan. And it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic, I think. And any comments you have on that, appreciate it. And just a, sort of a little comment is you mentioned the bison were at the table when you were planning for this treaty. Did, did the bison sign the treaty? Firstly, the bison were in our discussion tables. And like we said, we always had a uh, empty seat for them. And they gave us in, you know, very certain way, 
you know, with great certainty, yes, we want to come back. Okay. And that's why the, uh, our elders said, okay, in order to bring the buffalo back, we need to, we need to work with other people uh, to welcome our brother, our long-lost brother, with, you know, we've mentioned the very important aspect about culture of our people. The Buffalo Treaty speaks to health. And without, without naming a person that can tell you the story, but a very brief story, and that is he was... He was diagnosed with cancer and been seeing the doctor. And there came a point where the doctor basically said, well, I don't know if we can do too much more for you. And it was at that point he told him, I'm, I think I'm going to go see, you know, a, uh, another, you know, uh, person that can you know, uh, alternative medicine. And the doctor took his file and threw it at the person and he said, you go see the alternative medicine. You know, didn't want to have anything to do with him. But sure enough, he did. And the message he got from the alternative practicing practitioner was, hey, it's in your genes that you used to eat buffalo. Why don't you, why don't you, uh, you know, consume that instead of those other foods and so on? Well, the long, the short story is that he's walking around today. In fact, has his own buffalo herd without any signs of the cancer anymore. Yeah. So we do know that it has health, you know, effects. The buffalo brings back all different type of animals, different plants, and so on. Pasturing habits are set, are such that even if there's enough food over here, they move on. They, they pass, you know, move on to different places and so on, eventually coming back. And in the old days, traditional times, we used to be referred to as, as nomadic. Well, it wasn't so much about being nomadic. We were following the pattern of the buffaloes. And it was such that we synchronized a whole bunch of different cycles growth of plants, appearance of other animals as the buffalo moved, so on, so that, yes, when we moved camp, hey, certain plants were ready for harvest, moved to the next camp, hey, the medicine plants are ready, so on, so there was all this synchronization, but it was revolving around this keystone animal, which was the buffalo. You know. So we know that we as humans have, had, have had such a negative uh, 
footprint on the land, and we've changed it so much that, as I was telling other people, I don't know that we can save the environment. You know, if you, all you just have to do is go over to uh, the uh, tar sands. That's beyond repair, you know. It's gone, you know. It's beyond repair. But at least down here and in other areas, we do have a chance. But we need help. Just like those elders said, we can't do this by ourselves. We need partners. Well, we as humans can't do it by ourselves. We need partners. And one of the best partners you can have is that buffalo. They'll, they'll help us bring the land back at least to acceptable uh, environmental standards. Next question. Hi, Leroy. Thank you very much. Hi. Thank you for coming to SACPA and speaking to us on this very important topic. I'm Bev Mundell Atherstone. We've known each other for decades. <laughs> um, I have a comment and then a question. So my comment is um, the short grass researchers at the Agriculture Canada Research Station, some of them have actually suggested that as we live in this arid, semi-arid zone and uh, with global warming and, and us being in this fragile water area, perhaps one of the best things would be simply to get rid of cropland here and bring back the buffalo and exactly what you were saying because the buffalo would help that short grass prairie to be revived and that would be a much better use for it than what we're doing with it now. Right. And my question is, and you were talking about genetics and genetic memory. In terms of bringing back the buffalo, I'm assuming you mean 100% buffalo because there have been many attempts to cross the buffalo with cattle, beefalo, cattle and various other incarnations of the same, which has watered down the buffalo genes and mixed them with the cattle genes. So with this treaty organization, um, is it the intent to bring back 100% buffalo? And I'm glad you mentioned Ted Turner and his huge buffalo herd. So is that the intent? or And how will you make sure that they're not mixed then with the cattle? Thank you. We're talking 100% buffalo, okay? And the, uh, at least at, for instance, at the uh, Elk Island Park, there's great efforts not to mix the two. There are wood, wood uh, lands, wood buffalo, and they're, they're slightly different from the plains. And those are being used up in the in the north and in fact have been used to restock buffalo in Alaska. But when we're talking over here, the buffalo, we're talking 100% plains buffalo. No mixtures and so on. 
And Alk Island is a very good source of, you know, true plains buffalo. Yeah. I'm Douglas Mitchell. Loved a little bit. Thank you very much. I respect very much the spiritual aspects of your desire to see the return of the buffalo. I am a little concerned, though, about the question of the clash of cultures, and which is something that will raise a lot of concern. Uh, I'm a veterinarian by profession, and I would uh, I understand some of the problems you're going to face. And I was a little disappointed that you uh, didn't uh, define, and maybe at this point you can't do that, uh, more clearly exactly how you're going to define the areas that the buffalo are going to use, how you're going to contain them, how you're going to cull them, and things of that kind. And I wonder if you would address that. And in closing, I'd just like to make a comment which my table mate, who just left, uh, said he said it's ironic how history turns back on itself that the buffalo were exterminated in large degree because of the spread of the railroads in western Canada now the reverse is the case the railroads are gone but we hope the buffalo will come back thank you very much for the uh, question uh, <coughs> Excuse me. The, uh, in our approach to the, we have, we have those buffalo dialogues that we refer to. We have, we call ourselves. We're not an incorporated body. We're simply a group of individuals that are, you know, interested in, in buffalo restoration. We call ourselves INI Initiative, okay? And we're very open-minded, very transparent. We try to we tell everybody about what we're doing and so on. We invite people. We've talked to the Cattle Association people. We've talked to the buffalo ranchers themselves and so on. In other words, government, people on both sides of the border, in fact, you know, makes it more complicated, but that much more fun, so to speak, dealing with two different countries and so on. So in other words, everything is above board and so on, okay? We're not naive about having to deal with the existing establishment. In other words, there's cattle ranchers out there, there's farmers, people, you know, complain about, hey, they're gonna bust through my, my uh, fences and so on, they're gonna spread the diseases and so on. We, you know, we know about that. And we've heard it all, okay? And we're dealing with it, in other words, it's not a question, uh, it's not a question, as we said before, about bringing a herd and simply dumping them. There has to be a whole plan in order to bring buffalo to a particular place, 
to a particular area, and so on. Lots and lots of planning goes into that. So we're cooperating and trying to cooperate as much as possible and letting people know about because, and we're not, it's not an issue of, hey, we want to push the cattle out. We want to push the horses out. No. We're saying, I think there's room for all. So let's all work together so that we will all, it'll become a win-win situation for everybody. So yes, I know that's what we mean. It's kind of an uphill fight and it's so on. And a large part of it is really communication, talking to people. Lots of time, people don't talk to each other, and so we don't know what's going on. But when we sit together at the table like here, and I want to thank Zagpa for doing these kind of sessions, we begin to find out, hey, yeah, there's places where we have commonality. There's places where we have similar interests. Let's talk some more. Let's have more coffee. <laughs> Hello, thank you very much for coming. I really appreciate this dialogue. My name is Corinne Jerky, and I have observed a project that's being done in the Grasslands National Park between the bison and the ranchers. And one of the observations that people there have made is that when the when the buffalo were reintroduced, one of the things that they did right from the beginning is they found the original dust baths of the buffalo right. and returned right. to them. Right. Yeah, we hear a lot of those type of stories happening and so on. And that's what we're referring to. There seems to be this memory and, hey, little happenings like that wake things up and people say, oh, yeah, I've heard that story, <laughs> so to speak. Hey, Leroy. Great talk today. I really like the idea... Oh, I'm a little too close. Oh, hey, my name's Ryan. I like the idea of the free-roaming buffalo, and you mentioned you need help. What can I do on the individual level to further the progress of this exciting movement? There, there are many things, you know, individuals can do. And of course, spread the word that we're talking about this, about the initiative, about the Buffalo Treaty, and so on. But one of the things that people, you know, except the farmers and so on, the ranchers that do the actual leasing of the land, for instance, in other words, only a few of them really know about what's going on. And that is put in very simplistic terms. You know that there's large areas within the province that are crown lands, okay? And those crown lands, for instance, in many cases, 
are leased out by the province to cattle ranchers and so on, especially kind of up in the foothills and so on, okay? Well, one of the campaigns we're putting on is, and talking with Shannon over here, uh, saying, hey, how about if we could open those crown leased lands to buffalo ranchers? See, right now, it seems to be limited just to cattle ranchers. How about if we can have buffalo ranchers bid on those things, you know, bid on those leases, okay? And we're getting a good response. I don't know that the you know, government doesn't move very fast. You know, but those are the kind of things that individuals can help lobby for those kind of things. And, but education and you know, making people aware are probably the biggest thing individuals can do. Yeah, thank you for your question. All right, we'll take one more question. Last but not least. Oki Leroy, Nidonico, Kirby, England. Uh, huh. My question is, did you have any sort of government signees to the Buffalo Treaty, or is it starting with First Nations? Are you going to try and attract government signees later, or, or is it just sort of a, uh, a movement that, you know, you obviously have the right roots for it, but do you see it being sort of an agreement that, government would sign on to? The, the Buffalo Treaty has three type of signatories. The number one signatory is, of course, nations, okay? And only nations can sign treaties, all right? And there's been some inquiries from government. In fact, Alberta wanted to sign it but because of the constitutional implications, they're kind of hanging on, okay? But they've indicated an interest, okay? And the other type of signatory are organizations such as Wildlife Conservancy and so on, American Bison Society that can sign the treaty not as a nation, but as supporters. And also, we do, have, we do have spaces for individuals that want to sign the treaty as a supporter, okay? So there's three type of signatories, supporters, organizations, and donations, yes. Thanks for clarifying that. All right, everyone, that concludes our session today. I want to thank everybody for coming out. And I really want to thank Leroy for coming out today. Um, amazing talk. You've been a very important figure in my Buffalo journey, exposing me to the world of bison restoration. And it's a, a really exciting thing that's it's got a lot of traction behind it. And so before we go, can you give everyone kind of a take-home message or a question that they can, you know, think about and... Until the next time. Eat buffalo. <laughs> it's very healthy.
you'd be surprised. Buffalo is very healthy, you know. My take-home message is eat buffalo. Thank you.